0: Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington DC. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's dc.org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna. Very happy to be here with all of you uh, on this beautiful Sunday at the lotus feet of Shishi Radha, Madhana Mohan, Sitaram Lakshman Hanuman, Shishi Gornitai and Prabupad. Thank you. And firstly, don't believe everything that he introduced me with. He failed to say that I am a servant. I am your servant. I come here to actually share with you a little bit of my realization so that in some way I will be instrumental in helping you, contributing to your life and your upgradation. The topic given to me today is to speak something about happiness. How many of you here want to be happy? Is there anybody not raising his hands? Yes, everyone. Everyone. Every one of us. Yesterday we went for a long walk uh, to look into the waterfalls there somewhere and we're just talking some sweet nothings. And we saw a whole group with a t-shirt, The Pursuit of Happiness. A whole lot of them, 15, 20 of them, with a t-shirt, The Pursuit of Happiness. And you keep s- seeing people making endeavors everywhere to actually be happiness. Today I've titled my I, I talk, The Yoga of Happiness. And we're going to find out what it is. We'll start this today by saying a little quote about Albert Schweitzer. Success is not the key to happiness. It's happiness is the key to success. If you're happy, you're successful. It's not that success is going to bring you happiness. In fact, the opposite is proven. Look at this beautiful picture. How many of you can see from there? Okay. What comes in your mind as soon as you see this? It's a very old picture. What comes in your mind as soon as you see this? What do you feel? You feel happiness. What else do you feel? Something good, deep inside. This girl is enjoying pure happiness, untainted by anything. Small kid. Look at this guy in Africa, in the depths of Africa. He has made his own (laughs) Ray-Ban. He's fabricated his own glasses. And he seems much more happy than all those guys who wear (laughs) Ray-Ban. Yes or no? Nascent happiness, fresh happiness. He's discovered it. He's fabricated it. He looks so happy. I'm saying these things because there's also other side of life. Sorrow is part and parcel of life. And being happy is quite a challenge. First of all, why? Why do we need happiness? What's it about happiness that everybody is talking and singing this song about? Definitely happiness means many things. There's a lot of benefits to happiness. I don't know how much of you can see that. A lot of benefits to happiness. Happiness is proven to actually increase productivity. This is how the people look at who, human resource guys, keep the people happy, they produce more. Exploitative. But they found out that if you keep the people happy, they produce better. And it leads to success. And good relationships. But happiness has its challenges individually in each person's head. People get addicted to certain emotions which they repeatedly want to revisit and visit and visit. And it curtails their happiness. They're stuck some, side, some time, in comfort zones which actually don't give them happiness anymore. But they don't know how to get out of it. And there are certain types of triggers that give them certain types of pleasures. And they indulge in that. And some other thing happens, it's actually not happiness. Then some type of conditioning, and they have lack of motivation, etc., etc. But these are some challenges I want to briefly touch on. Life's purpose, what it is, is an interesting topic for many. What each one is actually trying to achieve in life. You may be wondering why this Swamiji has put up this little picture about a baby camel and a, you know, camel mother. Because actually I want to tell you something about what happened in a zoo. A new camel born, baby camel born to this mom. And as usual, kids are very inquisitive. They have a lot of questions to ask. So around the zoo there are many other animals, there's a hippo, there's a rhino, there's a giraffe, there's a tiger, there's a fox, there's that, there's everything. And the baby camel looked around and saw everybody else and started asking the mom, Mom, why do we have long necks? I don't see that except for the giraffe. Why do we have long necks? So the mom, you know, affectionately answers every question, every little question. And kids have some amazing questions. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, our founder, is known to have asked amazing questions to his father when he was very young. And father took him to a marriage ceremony with, you know holding his hand together, and he explained everything. What's happening there? He said, they're getting married. What's all that smoke? And that's said, there's a homa, a yajna being done and sacrificed. And what's all that happening? The mantras are being chanted. Who is that? Oh, they're the in-laws. Who this, that, and why this thing? So many questions. And on the way back, Prabhupada asked his father, are you married? <laughs> questions. Amazing questions. Sorry, so this baby camel too had questions. And the baby camel asked, oh mom, but why do we have such long legs? And said, you know, my son, big long necks because in the desert we need to look across long. To spot oasis water and, you know, see above the dust storms and everything. But why long legs, mom, with this clippity-clop, this type of feet that we have? Oh, that's the thing that's required for walking on the desert. You know, it makes it easy for us to walk on sandy deserts. And why this hump, mom, on the top? You have a big hump. Oh, my dear. Uh, The hump is meant for storing water. You know, we go long distances. I can store eight kgs of water. You too, you have a small mini hump. It will become big very soon. And for a long time, the baby camel stopped asking questions, looked around at everybody and asked, what the hell are we doing here, mom? Everything you told me is about being in the desert. Long neck for the desert, long leg for the desert, hump for the desert. But what are we doing here? Good question. Ask yourself a question. What the hell are we doing here? What's the purpose of life? I'm just using a code of Aristotle saying, happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life. The whole aim and the end of human existence. Experiencing Joy. Experiencing happiness is the aim of life. Normally, people think that much. Those who can have, have at least some gray matter between their years can at least think that I've got to be happy in life. Whatever I do, it should actually make me happy. That was the question John Lennon, in his younger days, uh, was given an assignment at school where everybody was asked to write What do you want to be in life? So kids wrote, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a businessman, I want to be a scientist, I want to be that, I want to be this, and they wrote essays on that. And there's only one kid who wrote two sentences, I mean two words. I want to be happy. And so the teacher thought that something's wrong with this kid. I gave you a whole assignment to what you want to be. And so she called up him and asked John, Did you understand the assignment? Why did you just write, I want to be happy? So John answered, I think you don't understand life. I want to be happy. That's what I want to be in life. So this is a little bit about why happiness? Everybody has a tendency to be happy. And these are things that are in the back of our head and behind every effort that we make in this world. And what is that happiness? What's that happiness? If you go to uh, psychotherapists, psychologists, and behavioral scientists, they'll talk to you about emotions. Happiness is that emotion, that good feeling when you see somebody after so long, your good old friend, and that surge of happiness you have, and you, you that nice feeling you get out of affection, When there's a nice reciprocation from your child, from somebody who you know very well, and relationships and the emotions that you... etc. etc. They speak to you in terms of... Religionists will speak to you in terms of doing good to people. Be good to people. Do good. And that will bring you happiness. God will bless you. And look at this guy. Neuroscientists will speak to you about this plastic happiness. Dopamine endorphins, serotonin, oxytocin. Actually, everything is emotion and happiness is about that and these chemicals can produce that. If you have a little depression, just pump a few chemicals inside and then it'll adjust things up and you get that happiness. Neuroscientists will tell you about that. Greek philosophers will talk to you about two types of happiness. Hedonistic happiness and eudomania. Something much beyond, different type of happiness. Romans are known to be very deeply uh, pleasure seeking people who go to any extent to seek that type of pleasure. They were called hedonistic. Even now, somebody who is just interested in simply pleasures on the basis of his senses, you will say he is after hedonistic pleasure. But they said there is another beyond this hedonistic pleasure which lasts forever. And they called it eudomania, spiritual happiness. Here is a formula derived by Jigme Singh Wang Chuk, the Bhutan king. He decided, I'm not going to measure the happiness of my country on the basis of GDP. I am actually going to see how happy they are. That's how I'll know how prosperous they are. And today the United Nations has, in terms of what he initiated pass a resolution that we should measure gross national happiness. And they have a whole methodology for doing that. Which are the happy countries in the world. And every year they publish this. No more should we measure. Prosperity means how happy people are. Money is not wealth. Wealth means happiness and prosperity. Looks like the UN has woken up to a new scale of measuring prosperity. But the secret, which no one knows, many wisdom-laden people speak about, no, actually happiness comes out of health, relationships, gratitude, service, etc., etc. Health, be disciplined, eat good food. Yes or no, all these things can also be contributing to happiness. Yes or no, eating good food. Eating proper time, sleeping on the right time, having some discipline, having exercise, etc., etc., contributes to happiness for sure. We know that. Relationships amongst people, the type of relationships we have and the challenges that we face. In the material world, people have to work very hard to maintain a relationship. Gingerly, tenderly. I don't say that. Don't do this. I mean, say the right thing at the right time get to wish them at the right time, and then everything is maintained very well. Relationships, good relationships bring us happiness. So never, never, we never want to spoil our relationships. A Harvard study done by a great scientist and generations of scientists for 75 years, over different generations of people, three, four generations, they discovered that the key to happiness is relationship. Maintaining good relationship. We'll speak more about that a little later. And relationships means associating with people etc. Gratitude. Uh, people who advise you definitely that being grateful brings about an amazing deep internal feeling of happiness being grateful to your parents, bring grateful to the society, bring grateful to uh, people who have taught you, people who have sacrificed things for you, being grateful to your school teacher, being grateful to everybody who has been uh, contributing something to make you, to the makeup of yourself. We remain grateful. We are happy. Service to somebody. Um, When we serve somebody, we actually become deeply internally happy. There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you want to be happy for the hour, go fishing. If you want to be happy for the day, take a snooze. If you want to be happy for the month, get married. If you want to be happy for your life, serve others. If you serve without any feeling of wanting something in return, you'll actually be happy. Uh, So that's counted as a spiritual exercise. It makes you happy. Sharing with somebody, giving somebody exactly when they need something and having that opportunity to do that uh, brings... A great satisfaction and deep happiness. Something about the how of happiness. The great, uh, you know, Viktor Frankl, who wrote that famous book *Man's Search for Meaning*. He analyzed many things. He really went through some harrowing situations in his life in the concentration camps, and he's saying here, happiness is learning how to respond to your life's happenings. Very interesting. Philosopher, writer, doctor, scientist and out of his experience is saying the way you respond will make up your life's happiness. And there are myths about happiness that we have learnt and we have known. Uh, I don't want to elaborate that. Money brings happiness, we know it doesn't. Still we go behind it. Technology brings well-being and prosperity, no, it doesn't. Weapons bring security, no. All these things have been proven to be wrong. All these things we think tend to help us with the happiness. No, it doesn't. Apparent happiness, uh, money, gratification of our senses, name and fame, power and control over others, we think will give us happiness. And that also ends up with challenging our whole happiness in many different ways. Relative happiness most people in this world are looking at what others are doing and how they are feeling and willing and living their life and accordingly that actually calibrates their own happiness. You peep into the neighborhood and see how is he enjoying, how green is the grass on the other side. And if it is too green, if it is brown actually you become very happy. Ha ha. And if there's, if, there's, if, there's, if there's a you know, somebody does something to my possession my car, is the windshield is broken, then I'm very unhappy. But if my neighbor, somebody threw a stone on his, this thing, you have a smile on your face. He deserves it, right, rascal, for the type of thing he did to me. Relative happiness. There's an old story in Orissa about a person who was poverty-stricken. Very famous story. You must have heard it. Was poverty-stricken and he... Desperately wanted to have some money going with him. So, somebody told him about doing this puja and that temple and this place and so many things he tried. Finally, somebody said, In the forest, there is a jenny. If you can invoke that jenny, I think that jenny can do something for you. So, he braved the whole journey, went into the center of the forest and did what was necessary. And lo and behold, the jenny came up and said, What do you want? I want to get whatever I desire, because that will make me happy. Oh, really? The Jenny said. Oh, really? Uh, are you sure that if you get whatever you want, you'll be happy? He said, yes, if you can get me that capacity. And just one condition, you must never bother about what your neighbor has. Okay. I said, well, who cares about the neighbor? Right now I don't have anything. I'm just bothered about getting something. So Jenny said, pooh, here is the mantra. You chant this, you touch anything, you will get that. Whatever you want. You think about it, you have it. And he ran back home. On the way he tried it, I want this. Boom. Wow. He went back to his home and then he told his wife, just send me what you want. She said, no, you idiot, you fool, you have never given me anything in your life. You have done nothing for me. You are a useless guy. I am telling you again, tell me what you want. You, what can you do for me? I've been asking you this, that, this, she said. And said, boom, boom, boom. The cars came out, the bungalow came out, uh, you know, jewels came out, clothing came out, everything she asked for filled the house. Wow! She was thinking, my gosh, how did you do it? Don't ask me. Just don't ask me. You know, I've been working on it for long. It's a result of all the hard work. You didn't want to tell... What really happened? He It's a little hard work. Wow! And what about this? What about this? Just tell me what you want. Everything they got. They got so tired of getting everything they want. And so he said, I'll relax. He tied his hands behind his head and then he was just lying down and then he peeped. The Jenny's condition was whatever you get, the neighbor gets a double. I am mentioning this to you later but there was one condition that the jenny had whispered to him and he said, I don't care about it. And so as he looked around and saw there, my gosh, he's got two cars, two BMWs, three Jaguars. And I look at the bungalow he has, there's two of them. He didn't have that. And look at his wife, wow, he's got two wives now. <laughs> my gosh. And I've been struggling with one with and satisfying all her desires. Then he looked, he got up and he became very serious. This is, this is something that's important. I got to look into it. And he looked deeply inside. And then his wife came over to see what they have got now. And you, what do you do for me? And she said, look at them. Everything like that, they have that, she has that, she has this, and you don't have anything. He said, oh gosh, this is bad. How can we live right here in the neighborhood with those guys having everything double what we have? It became a real problem for them. They couldn't enjoy all their possessions and assets. So he was tossing and turning, couldn't get sleep properly. In the morning he was wondering, he was keeping on looking out the window and looking at them, enjoying. And he said, all because of me. Every time I desire something, you get double. You rascal, you did nothing for it. You know how much of struggles I went through? And then he said, this is too bad, I'm going back to the Jenny." He went back to the Jenny. And he told, can you stop that? Screwing up my happiness. Whatever you gave me is useless. He said, I told you, you shouldn't worry about the neighbor. But you said, I don't care about that. No, but this has become a great problem for me. And especially my wife. Please do something about it. Then he said, use your brains. And he went back saying, the genie said, use your brains. And he said, ha 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 ha, I got it. I got it. And he desired <coughs> that let me lose one eye. Let me lose one eye. It <clears throat> doesn't matter to me. And he lost one eye. He saw the guy's got two he's lost two eyes, he's become blind. Ha 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 ha. I will be happy. There's an old story to tell people. Don't compare yourself with others. <clears throat> so relative happiness. We live in a world where we forget our real happiness. You see this document here? Signed by Who's it signed by? Albert Einstein. Einstein. Can you read it? It's written in German. When Albert Einstein (coughs) was nominated for the Nobel Prize several times, it didn't happen. And over a long period of time, in 1922, the news that he got the Nobel Prize was brought to him while, I think he was in Switzerland or somewhere, in a huge... uh, hotel room he was put up and he got news conveyed to him that you've got the Nobel Prize. It came to him and Albert Einstein at that time reflected on his great fortune and didn't think much about it. The translation for that is this, a calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. When he got the Nobel Prize, he took a sheet of paper on the table, on the pad. This is what he wrote. This went for $1.2 million in 2006 or something. Happiness Sutra, written by Albert Einstein. Remember, uh, he was getting the highest award, accolade, for him, which he was waiting for in one sense. But this was his realization after he got it, instantly. I won't go through this. Maslow's, uh, everybody knows Maslow's uh, Cone. The top apex of it speaks about self-actualization, which we can understand as purely a spiritual endeavor. The real understanding of happiness, after going through all these things, is what's mentioned in the ancient Indian tradition coming out in the Bhagavad Gita etc I will close with that happiness is actually generated by you it's not something outside of you it's not something outside in that it will come out of the pleasure that you seek or the boons given by the jenny or the other persons who are around you and things that you do, the money that you make and the positions that you get in society and all that actually don't give you happiness. And this is experienced by everybody. Happiness is generated by you. Like the example of the musk deer, Prabhupada, our founder, he told us that <coughs> the musk deer, amazing feature of the musk deer is it generates a musk scent from its navel. And then it starts smelling it. And it doesn't know from where it is coming. Amazingly, it's ignorant of the fact. It's coming out of its own navel. And it goes around looking for it, searching for it, smelling it and running here and there, looking for it. Similarly, the conditioned human being is thinking that happiness is something available elsewhere. But actually, a whiff of it, he's already getting, is generated from him. So Prabhupada gave this example of a cage-polishing civilization. He said that our civilization focuses on the external so much. And he gave us a story about the spinster who had no friends because she was too wealthy. And she got rid of all the relatives who were after her wealth alone and therefore trying to be her friends. And she had only a parrot who was a good friend and who spoke to her regularly. How are you doing? And she would answer. And she said that you are my only friend and with all my wealth I would make you a golden cage. You deserve it for being with me without any motivation. So she gave the parrot a golden cage and hung it in the veranda of the house. But she couldn't sleep peacefully because a lot of the wealth she had was put in the cage. It was full solid gold. And every now and then she'd get out and see, Oh, is it okay? Fine. It's okay. And then every morning she would come and clean the cage. And she got so busy with the cage that she was no more listening to the parrot or answering the parrot. And she got so busy that actually the parrot died with no attention. Prabhupada told us the story and said that we kill our own happiness. We kill our own spiritual identity by catering only to our body, our mind and our requirements external to us. But all along unbeknownst to us, The source of our happiness is right inside us. And this is what they meant by eudomania, the Greeks. Hedonia, the outside stuff. Eudomania, a little more inside our thinking, the way we have our disposition and emotions towards certain things. And all that chemicals and everything we are talking about. Amazingly, scientists found out something more. They found out that in their experiments, this I just picked up from a doctor who told me this, you know something, exactly what you are saying has been found out, but nobody knows the type of explanation giving. They said they found out endocannabinoids, in that they found out one molecule which they named Ananda, the bliss molecule. Every human being, When he gets highly spiritually happy, he generates that molecule. They named it the bliss molecule. They called it Anandamide. Amazingly, uh, the doctor told me this and said, do you know this? The Bhagavad Gita you gave me, I've been reading and, you know, things are mentioned this. I thought you should know about this. I was very amazed. I thought I'll bring this information to you. Anandamide molecule is something that you can generate. And when you actually practice devotional life, awakening your spirituality and exercising it in devotion to Krishna, as Krishna mentions in Bhagavad Gita, you will most probably be generating a lot of ananda mind. You don't have to come under focus and examine, but mostly you do. Real happiness is what you are made of. Bhagavad Gita and scriptures tell us that our nature is Satchit Ananda, eternity, knowledge and bliss. You are made of that happiness. In fact, you are that happiness. It is just that you don't know how to excavate it and bring it out. So, Bhaktivedanta Swami Shila Prabhupada spoke about natural happiness that is lying dormant within you. And civilization that we know of is busy trying to have some unnatural happiness which doesn't last and brings us a lot of difficulty. Here in this happiness matrix that I've drawn against long-standing happiness and eternal happiness and instant gratification versus our wants and needs. We may not have time to go through this, but you can actually all these things happen to us in our life and we want certain things but we actually need happiness we need that deep internal happiness lying dormant within us which is within our capacity to actually bring out uh, so gita speaks about the bhagavad gita speaks about three levels of happiness It speaks about levels of happiness on the basis of the three modes, sattva, rajas and tamas. And here is sattvic happiness, which is in the beginning may be a little difficult, but in the end lands up in ultimate experience, a good experience. So many things we don't like to do initially, but actually they are good for us. Kids are told that you do this, it's good for you, and they say, no, no, no. You know, when you have to administer a medicine to a kid, you have to do it with great care because mostly they won't take it. And then you have to give them, you know, sugar-coated pills, do it in a better way, and then they take it. But actually, those things that we don't like initially, but actually are good for us in the end, they are called sattvic happiness. And those things that start in a very good way, uh, look very nice, Actually, bring us misery. Krishna calls them rajasic happiness, and we know a lot of those examples. Tamasic happiness means you don't have any idea of where it's beginning, where it's ending, what it is. Nothing. You remain completely dead uh, from the beginning to end, and you actually mostly not conscious about many things. In sleep, in laziness, you drug yourself, you get drunk, etc. Those happinesses are called. Tamasic happiness. Krishna describes these three types of happiness which we all experience in the world. But Krishna also describes about the happiness within you as spirit soul, not this body, not this mind, not this intelligence, have the unique capacity from your own identity to bring about happiness. He calls it one whose happiness is within, who is active and rejoices within, and whose aim is inward is actually the perfect mystic He is liberated in the supreme and ultimately he attains the supreme. Krishna is speaking about spiritual happiness on the basis of a real identity as spirit souls. Uh, He says that I am the foundation of the self, that happiness, which is immortal, imperishable and eternal and is the constitutional position of ultimate happiness. So, ladies, Uh, Dear ladies and gentlemen, happiness, as per Bhagavad Gita, is something which is under your control. You can actually develop it. Uh, It is up to you to do it. And there is a process of doing it. And Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, our founder, actually gave us that process. He spoke about all these things, different levels of happiness that uh, we did cover now. But ultimate happiness, Ananda, bliss, comes out of expressing our love and devotion for the Supreme Godhead, Krishna. When we actually fall in love with Krishna, which Krishna is inviting us to do, Manmana Bhava Madbhaktaha. Ji Mam Namaskuru, he's saying that in Bhagavad Gita. The whole Bhagavad Gita is actually culminating in this. In fact, it's a love story. The love story of the living being, the spirit soul, with God, with Krishna. And he's inviting us to fall in love with him. And he's saying that will give you the greatest happiness. Ananda, bliss. So when we chant the holy name of the Lord, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. We can experience a little bit of that. Especially when we chant together in Sankirtan, we can experience that. And Srila Prabhupada said, I want to change the way people think in this world. Make them happy. Whatever they have understanding about happiness, I want to change that. I want to give people happiness. Give them a peek into what reality is and actually help them in happiness. So he charged us all with this cultural and spiritual responsibility to spread this happiness. And we are trying to do that uh, by actually following his order. So in essence today you can take home that the greatest challenge to your own happiness is you. And you can be determined to be happy on the basis of these instructions given in the Bhagavad Gita and uh, the instructions, practical instructions given by Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada and such great acharyas. And you can be determined to achieve that happiness. You simply try to be happy in the material world by moving and possessing various things actually doesn't make you really happy. You are made of happiness. So... Let's all chant, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama, Rama Hare Hare. Thank you. Hare Krishna. So some, some questions? Thank okay, you, Prabhu. It's very enlightening and we really appreciate your uh, good words. The only question I have is that uh, happiness and wellness, are they synonymous? Are they synonymous? Synonymous, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or oh, yes. Wellness uh, does contribute to your happiness. Having good health, mental health and physical health, actually can make you happy, definitely, no doubt about it or rather not being well can disturb your happiness, no doubt. Having said that, I want to also bring to you Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada's life history, a sliver of that. Uh, He suffered great unwellness. He had two heart attacks when he sailed in his ship to America here. He had a stroke one year after and many times he was going through some challenges in his health. But there was an amazing thing about Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada which which illustrates what I am trying to say today. Is that we have another deeper source of happiness which if we tap can make it so difficult for our unwellness to screw our happiness. Right. Of course, this is something on a greater, higher level of spirituality, of devotion, etc. But Srila Prabhupada exhibited that in his life. I just want to say that on the side. Depends on what our level of realization about ourselves is, what are the depths of understanding we have about ourselves, according to that, we will have these things affecting us. Okay, make sense to you? you? Yeah, right. Hare Krishna, Maharaj. Thank you very much for the nice class. Uh, one question is: ninety uh, percent of the time, or ninety-nine percent of the time of our life, we will do those things which really don't want to do. Like uh, you don't want to work twelve hours in office or doing some other things. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 but uh, but we are doing it. Uh, kind of, we don't really know also why we are doing kind of thing and. Uh, uh, the most of the problems that we face in the world are also like with relationships, be it your boss or a colleague or somebody else, your relative. or So how we can better utilize our time, reduce those things? and Very interesting question though. I cannot directly answer, um, give you an answer directly. But I just want to mention that you said that we have to work, we have to do this, we have to do that and all that. Actually, uh, what we are really trying to say is that don't need to do it. <laughs> you're, a, you're actually saying that too. I don't need to do it, but I have to do it. <clears throat> uh, the definition of God that Prabhupada gave us was, Natasya karyam karanam Chavidrite, parashaya shaktir vividaiva shuyate. Just quoting, he said that God is a person who has nothing to do. How do you like that? I like that so much when I first heard the definition of God. He has no work to do. Wow, I want to follow him. (laughs) The Hare Krishna movement are followers of Krishna. (laughs) But we do a lot of work for Krishna. Right? We do a lot of work for Krishna. It gives us a lot of pleasure. I think somewhere in conversations of Prabhupada, you will see him meeting a German professor who went around India and he went to many temples and he's, and Prabhupada talked to him and he said, What did you see? And he said that in this temple I saw this god, you know, one god with the tongue hanging out and you know, she got all sorts of arms and she's killing somebody. In Another place I saw a flying god, another place I saw him doing this, this but there was one god who was not doing anything, he was blowing his flute. I think he is the boss. <laughs> and then Prabhupada said, Wow, you're a very intelligent man, you observe correct. And Prabhupada told him about how God has got only one business. He just enjoys. He's called Rasaraj. He just has amazing relationships with all the devotees who want it and he reciprocates with them and enjoys it. Everything else he outsources. There are 33 crores of demigods to whom he outsources all the other job. BPO. He does... All that job is done by all the demigods. He does only enjoyment. And so we worship that Godhead. And I welcome you to chant Hare Krishna. You don't need to work anymore. <laughs> like me. <laughs> Sorry. Just, just in a lighter vein. But I, I think that brings some light to you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you for a very really inspiring class. Uh, there is a comment like you said like uh, falling in love with Krishna gives the most happiness It's uh, I, that's what I think uh, is very inspiring that's what I need to work on yes Thank please you. chant Hare Krishna and you are invited to fall in love with Krishna Hare bol Hare, Hare Krishna